You're listening to Nightmare on Film Street. The current time is 6.66. Traffic is clear ahead from here to the afterlife. But it's hell outside. For the next hour, you're on Nightmare Time. So, let's give a grave welcome to our hosts, John and Kim. Hello again, fiends, and welcome to another quarantined episode of Nightmare on Film Street. I'm John. I'm Kim. And it's it's going to be really weird in a few years when we go back... And listen to all of the episodes that came out. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be weird when we go back and look at our Instagram Oh, photos. they were depressed. <laughs> it's going to be weird when we go back and look at the movies we were watching. They were all depressed. <laughs> yeah, it's nuts. It's so weird because... I try to, like, psych myself up before we click record. I'm like, okay, sound like your normal self, Kim. But really, it's just like, I don't know. I'm wearing sweatpants. I'm wearing a sweatshirt. Uh, I haven't brushed my hair. I haven't left the house in a week. Actually, that's not true. We went to the mailbox today. So <laughs> big, real exciting. Oh, big adventure. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's uh, that's life now. It's Cops and Killers Month here at Nightmare on Film Street, both on the podcast and at nofspodcast.com. Uh, and on this week's episode, we are going into the mind of a killer. Two killers specifically, we're talking about The Cell from 2000 and Manhunter from 1986. But before we get started, as always, it's important to keep routine right now. <laughs> Kim, what's keeping you creepy this week? What's keeping you entertained this week? I'm yeah, going change, really. to change that question. <laughs> what's keeping you quarantined this week? Right? <laughs> That's good. No. We should use that. Uh, the answer's always the Quarant same. Quarant creepy, C- creepy teen. Go ahead. Keep talking while you adjust your, your I microphone. I had to fix it. <laughs> um, We've been watching actually a lot of content. Surprise, surprise, because none of us have nothing but time right now. Yep. A few new releases that we've been watching that have come out. Uh, something super culty called The Other Lamb, which is... Very, like, eerie, ethereal. Super slow burn. In the woods, culty, trying not to talk too much about it. Has some lambs. <laughs> <laughs> it's got some great cinematography and a really key performance uh, that is very, very good. And also the cult leader is uh, one of the actors from the movie The Invitation. You'll definitely recognize him. Kim's got a thing for cult leaders. No, I don't. She thinks he's dreamy. And he also had evil. some nice hair. <laughs> and that's all I'll say on the matter. There's a great review from Mary Beth on the website uh, that she did out of TIFF last year, which might be the... Let's not bring it up. Um, <laughs> and also, I think it would pair uh, on a really good double bill with another movie that Mary Beth reviewed on the website called Swallow. They're, they're both out from IFC right now. Uh, definitely check them out if you're in the mood for something weird and creepy. They're VOD, right? Yes, they are available on VOD. Also out right now, this week, coming this Friday, is a fun little horror comedy called We Summon the Darkness. That we can't talk about at all because it would ruin the movie. I agree. (laughs) We really cannot. Heavy metal, Satanists, murder. Horror. Horror. Horror comedy. And Alexander Daddario is in it, who I absolutely love. She's great in it. She's from the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake. She is, what else is she in? She was in something recently. We've we all we've always lived in the castle. Thank you. Okay, yeah. With Crispin Glover. That Shirley Jackson story. Yep, that she's in that. She's really, really good in that movie. Check that out. That's a weird one. 
Also in We Summon the Darkness, a surprise cameo. I don't know if cameo is the right word for it, but surprise appearance from Johnny Knoxville as an evangelical preacher who's out to stop all this Satanist music that's harming our community. But of course, you know, like with all this extra time, we've been going through the back catalogs like everybody else, uh, including Hulu and Blumhouse's Into the Dark series. Yeah, we had only originally caught, I think, the first of the first season, two or three of the episodes. At most. So now we're, we're kind of starting. We watched uh, Puka Lives. Yeah. Uh, so fun. I love Puka. And we've been working our way backwards through the holidays, which, you know, when you're in quarantine, holidays mean nothing. Like when we watched the St. <laughs> Patrick's Day one, I was like, when's St. Patrick's Day? It was like three weeks ago. I We just forgot, like, forgot it existed. It's already come and gone. Actually, that's kind of interesting. Like we are just going backward through time and visiting. <laughs> like these are the holidays that we have celebrated that are up in the air right now. <laughs> so we we have the Christmas episode tonight. Yes. And I'm super pumped. Maybe we'll put a tree up while we watch it. I hear the Thanksgiving episode's really, really I good. I don't think you heard that. <laughs> I'm not putting any trees up. <laughs> I also finally watched the original Godzilla. I had, like you maybe, uh, had only watched the Godzilla King of the Monsters, this sort of Americanized cut of that original movie. That original Godzilla is so perfect you hear about it all the time and people tell you that it's an analogy or a response to the atomic world and how you know we dropped gigantic bombs on japan that just ruined everything and completely changed their culture forever sound familiar but it is done so incredibly well and even knowing that up front it still pays off like no nobody's business and it really plays well now there's a bunch of talk about whether or not people should know about the crisis and what information we should let the public know versus keep for ourselves and then you also get these glimpses of regular everyday life where people are kind of blase about it like ugh i don't want to have to evacuate again i'm just going to stay like it, there's a lot of conversation that goes on in this movie from 1954 that is happening right now in your own community. You sound like you're having a quarantine epiphany right now. <laughs> I kind of am. <laughs> I'm full of epiphanies. Godzilla knew it all. <laughs> we did not heed his stompy warning. <laughs> this quarantine has really just been an endless barrage of... John bad, cooking things. John cooking things and bad <laughs> fan theories. Like, I've just, I've got this thing, like, I think the Friday the 13th franchise is probably the closest thing horror's ever had to the Fast and the Furious. I mean, the first one's good, and, and but nobody really watches it. The best ones are the ones that detour from the original and are funny. Or, or I have to say, I, I've never hung out with John this much consecutively, <laughs> and he really is a conspiracy theorist. I'm telling you right now, I think Pooka Lives is part of the Twin Peaks universe. What? <laughs> they have tulpas. <laughs> okay. Calm it down. Uh, Godzilla is on Criterion Channel, Godzilla right? is on Criterion. All right. Recommendation complete. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in the meantime, while we are going stir crazy and insane. Uh, what are you, you talking about? Uh, what do you mean crazy? What? <laughs> well, while some of us are going stir crazy and insane, some of us, we're doing some fun stuff online just to, you know, like, Hang out, be friends, do real socializing as much as humanly possible. You know, the virtual social distance socializing. Uh, so we've been doing a quarantine stream and scream every Friday on Patreon. If you are a Patreon supporter, obviously, thank you, thank you so much. Nightmare on Film Street is listener supported and we absolutely 
uh, appreciate you guys during this craziness. So Greatest human beings on the planet. All of you. Honestly. Uh, so every Friday night at 9 p.m. Eastern, whatever time that is in your time zone, we pick a movie on Netflix based on a weekly poll we do. I think right now we have like between ghosts, demons, and pa- pagans? Yeah, I asked people to choose the form of their destructor. Uh, the, the choices were ghost, human, pagan, or uh, demon. Did I say that? Demon. Yeah. 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 I think, so I think so far we're watching a demon movie. Oh, uh, cool. I was really hoping for pagans. Me but too. yeah, so Friday night we're going to be doing one of those Netflix parties and chatting. And we've also been hopping on Friday the 13th, the game. So if you have PlayStation 4, you can play along with us. If not, we try to stream as well on Twitch so you can watch along. Uh, we have microphones. We tend to drink, and it gets fun. That's at twitch.tv slash Nightmare on Film Street. We kind of do it sporadically, but we do our best to at least give everybody a heads up on, on Twitter, social media. Yeah. yeah, so I mean, just follow us there, and you'll at the very least you get a half hour to an hour warning. Maybe. But, but we, <laughs> yeah, but we usually play for a few hours, so don't feel like you got to get there right away. It's been an absolute lifesaver, both of those things. The yeah, shout out, parties, to, shout out to everybody who's been joining the Netflix parties and who's been playing with us because you guys have made it feel like we we still, still have a social life. Yeah, like we still exist in the world and there's still people that to talk to. Which... It's crazy because sometimes <laughs> it feels like... Like it feels like a little bit of a chore because it's like, oh, I got to have energy to go in, talk to people. And then five minutes in, it, I am having the time of my life. Yeah, it's just so fun and so silly. And like, I have never laughed as hard as like in those Netflix party chats and stuff. And it's literally just like a bunch of people eating snacks and asking for pee breaks. <laughs> it's all we've ever wanted. <laughs> it's my favorite thing. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it is kind of its own version of what we're doing with the podcast you know like all we've ever wanted to do is just hang out with friends and talk about horror movies and that's kind of exactly what we're doing now uh with the netflix parties with the friday the 13th live stream so again thank you so much to everybody that's that's joining us with those i know it's the highlight of my week i hope it's the highlight of yours but without further ado time to talk about the meat and the bones and the cops and the robbers of this week's episode uh, a little precursor warning like we did with last week's. This was all pre-recorded before the quarantine. We were stocking up on episodes because we thought we were going to be traveling uh, right now. You know, doing the film festival thing, being on the road. And so we might be a little bit more upbeat and not with the current times because they weren't the current times when we recorded it. So if we talk about, you know, like touching hands with other people and hmm. not standing far apart, and you know, not wearing gloves or masks or hand sanitizing or sneezing openly, you know why. Enjoy this fun little bit of escapism. Coming up first, we're talking about The Cell. I really hope you rewatched. It is so, so good. <laughs> Do you believe there's a part of yourself that you don't show anybody when I'm inside? I get to see those things. I feel them. These girls are kidnapped, tortured, and murdered. <laughs> Our killer is a white male, about 30 years old. Carl Rudolph Farther. Watch had the house under surveillance for about 20 minutes. He keeps them in this thing for about 40 hours. We're all clear. 
And after 40 hours, the water starts. And it doesn't stop. There is a girl that is missing. Her name is Julia Hickson. He is the only one that knows where she is. If he was conscious, do you think that he would tell you where she is? Are you sure? I'm sure. You bring in this monster, and you're asking her to go into that monster. The Cell. From the year... From the year... (laughs) From the year 2000, directed by Tarim Singh. The Cell is currently sitting at a 6.3 out of 10 on IMDb. 45% 45% on Rotten Tomatoes. Four out of four from Roger Ebert. Good guy, Ebert. Ebert loved it. <laughs> 40% on Metacritic and 3.0 out of five on Letterboxd. So I do want to say, yeah, this was one of the most enjoyable watches I have had for this podcast. Oh, yeah. I hadn't seen The Cell in years. How many, how many times do you think you've seen this movie? Ballpark figure. Before now, twice. Yeah. Oh, really? Yes. I always get the impression this was a movie you watched like every weekend, like no. clockwork. I saw it when it came out with my parents. <laughs> um, they rented it from Blockbuster. You were 11. Okay. So if you guys think seeing the Titanic with your parents and having to look away when Leo painted What's-Her-Name's boobs, imagine watching the fucking cell with your parents with those marionette dolls and they're like weird sexualization yeah yeah, (laughs) it was uncomfortable there's a dude who hangs himself by chains and jerks off on a dead body yeah (laughs) movie night with mom and dad (laughs) and then i grew up to be this (laughs) and i'm like the cell is a masterpiece of cinema (laughs) oh boy uh you did this mom and dad you did this (laughs) which is true about every serial killer story so i think it's a great place to start I really enjoyed watching this Did movie. you just call me a serial killer? <laughs> no, 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 no. Uh, I really enjoyed this rewatch also. I've maybe also only seen this movie once or twice. The first time I saw it, though, either I was sick or it was really late at night because I remember coming in and out of consciousness. <laughs> so you and, fever dreamed the cell? Yeah, which is <laughs> fucked because it's a fever you dream. You can't fever dream a fever dream. <laughs> yeah, it's like I drank myself sober. <laughs> it was nuts. Two wrongs do make a right. Yeah, I, sw- I swear. Two weirds make a right. <laughs> I probably rented it, put it on, fell asleep. Uh, which is, you know, something I do a lot. Um, and then woke up. That's your move. It is my move. I can't. I don't know why. It's your only play. <laughs> it's weird. It's like I'm selectively narcoleptic. Just with movies. It's like they lull you. They're like a warm glass of milk for you. Yeah. It's comfort food for <laughs> my eyes and brain. So I saw bits and pieces of this and could not differentiate whether I was remembering parts that I saw or parts that I dreamt up. Because I remember- Your brain adds scenes. <laughs> Pretty much. Like, I well, I woke up and I remember seeing the horse thing and I was like, what? <laughs> like, that was, I saw him and a bunch of dead bodies and, like, his weird sexualization of the, the dead dolls. So, side note. Yeah. I specifically remember the horse scene being, like, the moment where my mom was like, no. I that was <laughs> like, the scene? That was the scene where she was like, 
Ugh, I'm not going to like this movie. I, 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 every time that I see it, it, I can literally remember my mom realizing that this wasn't Silence of the Lambs. <laughs> was she like out for a smoke the first 10 minutes of the oh, movie? Oh, probably. Uh, <laughs> She's too busy curling her hair. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just, I can literally feel in my bones the moment my mom was just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and They're I think- never going to find that girl. <laughs> of the same response for a lot of people because most I'm assuming most audiences who rented this movie or saw it in theaters were expecting a a run-of-the-mill like (laughs) cop procedural they were expecting Silence of the Lambs and in a way this is Silence of the Lambs but it's dreamscape Silence of the Lambs yeah that's right we're going actually into the mind of a killer we're and not just it being gets figurative dark about it. and weird buffalo we bill. all know buffalo bill was doing things to the level of carl in the cell but but in real life but they just didn't show that much depravity oh. in silence of the lambs so like housewives like my mom were just like oh dear no yeah <laughs> not the horse if it's if it's take the, the girls but not, <laughs> not the, the horse, horse. If it's if it's been a little while since you rewatched the cell and you didn't get a chance to to watch it again before this podcast, I feel so bad for you. You need to reward yourself. It's been a long week. Watch the cell tonight. Uh, it is so so good. But if you need a bit of a refresher uh, and you haven't watched the trailer, which is super easy to do on YouTube, um, Jennifer Lopez is a psychiatrist who works in this burgeoning field where they wear skin suits. That, that they're br- like muscle suits. They're they're the the war outfit from Dracula. You know what I'm talking also about? Also a muscle suit. Muscle suit. Yeah, it's it's like, it's it's armor, but it's muscle tissue, but it's, it's also got the a mummy spot when to he's, inject. It's the mummy when he's 70% regenerated. Yes. <laughs> Love it. But they wear bags over their faces. Which, in listening to the director's commentary, I learned was a compromise. <laughs> <laughs> he is my favorite director, by the way. Uh, new favorite director spot. He is currently my favorite because I love his sass and he's so candid about his creative process that I just fucking love him. This is also his feature debut, which is bonkers. Yeah, I mean, he did uh, he did do a bunch of music videos and stuff, so he's he's kind of got the cinematic craziness down, which totally makes sense in watching The Cell. It's just like, oh yeah, I can see how you did music videos. Oh yeah. You can do visuals. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. A thousand percent. Yeah. Which, uh, so, so, so sorry. Uh, so, the, yeah, uh, Jennifer Lopez is a psychiatrist and she wears skin a suit. Wears a skin suit. Let's Muffle her suit. enter the mind of a patient who's currently in a coma. They're using it to try and get kids out of comatose states is the idea. And the simultaneously Vince Vaughn detective uh, is hunting down a serial killer who has just been brutally murdering young women. Uh, they When they find him, he has had a seizure grandma seizure i guess and is is in a coma state also they're hoping because he has kidnapped another girl and they don't know where she is that they can get jennifer lopez to go inside his mind and figure out you know exactly where to find her before the the clock strikes midnight and she's drowned because that's how he kills them the crazy thing about that though and i'm i was about to say like i only picked it up on this watch but my subsequent watch as i was a child so yeah uh is that this all went down over the period of one day yeah like once 12 they hours? catch him yeah because they say that his um his water thing his water torture drowny chamber is auto rigged on a timer and 
They, is it 40 hours? I remember hearing that. You know, he said tonight she's going to be dead. Yeah. Okay. So Vince Vaughn gave us a one day window. So okay. all that shit goes down in an afternoon. So when like Jennifer <laughs> Lopez gets like tied up in his mind later on, I'm just like, honey, like this is your job. You're This is what? <laughs> it's been one bad day. It's not even. It's been like you've been in here two hours and he already has you chained to a bed. <laughs> yeah, because she pops in and out and stuff, right? Oh, boy. Well, I guess the problem is that she's always been in kids minds and by the fact by the uh by the looks of it one kid i think yeah because it seems like this is very preliminary like i do not think that this technology is being used anywhere but this one room yes yeah (laughs) i do love though like we did talk briefly about their muscle suits they did a really great job in setting up that room because now watching it 20 years later it doesn't look dated the suspension thing like it's a little silly but it's it looks plausible almost and like the the weird data sheet they wear on their heads the only time it looks super dated is that last instance where she's going into his body and we like follow the the juice down the vein and it's like this weird cinema show sure um but everything else about their induction into the brains of each other or their their own dreamscapes whatever that room looks perfectly plausible yeah yeah, absolutely. I'm with you. This movie holds up. Yeah. And Vincent D'Onofrio is a great serial killer. Oh, so good. When he does his crazy, ethereal, fictional serial killer version of himself. Oh, yeah. He delivers like 400 different versions of the same character, and I'm about it every single time. Oh, even just when he is like human Carl, he is super great as just this sort of pitiful serial killer who is wallowing in his own despair. Yeah. He's such a good actor. Like, we need, like, okay, I mean, like, yeah, he was in Daredevil, he was good in Daredevil, but I mean, like, I remember seeing tons of performances of Vincent D'Onofrio when he was, you know, younger, I guess, and just, like, fucking A-plus material. <laughs> Side note, when we put this on, John was like, ooh, Vincent D'Onofrio, when his name came up, and I was like, woo, Thor! And he looked at me, he was like, what? And I was like, Yes. <laughs> It took me a second to remember Adventures in Babysitting. His highlight role of his career. Exactly. (laughs) Where are the Thor roles for Vincent D'Onofrio? Hey, kid. This is the city. I don't help anybody but myself. Get lost. Vincent D'Onofrio as a serial killer, though, is super uber creepy. Uh, Crazy creepy. And, like, I think he has a really good handle on the the psyche of this character. Yes. And I and I know we spend the majority of the movie <laughs> in, in his, his mind. Psyche. <laughs> yeah. But I think he really, you know, went deep on this guy cuz yeah. he's he's unsettling to look at just having a bath. Like cuz you like you see the gears turning in this guy's head and and his weird, like, non-medical downers he takes or uppers, the, that weird bottle of pills he always has with him, like that scene creeped me out when he realized they were empty. What was that? I think something to handle his seizures. But I it think? wasn't prescription. It was just some like drugstore bottle of pills. Yeah, it was like trucker medication. Or maybe it was something that he was taking like Tylenol for like his heart or I don't know. I don't even know. It was but it creeped me out. So his his MO, um, his procedure is to kidnap women. Particularly blonde, pale women. He liked dolls. Doesn't he kidnap a brunette? I don't think so. They say he's got a doll thing, and all the dolls in his uh, house are, like, white. But he bleaches them. Which is also fucking weird. I don't know if the bleach is... 
I don't know. Like I, 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 okay. In my mind, because I don't have the movie in front of me right now, I always imagined that he was kidnapping anybody that struck his fancy, I guess, uh, and that by bleaching them, he gets them all to sort of look the exact same way. Because mm. he will bleach the color out of their hair, he bleaches their skin. I'm sure by doing that, the eyes go a little red. Because he's got a thing for albinos also, which I don't think yeah. they touch on too much in this. Do they? Well, it's not necessarily albinos. Like, he's into that, like, white porcelain doll look. And then he happens to have an albino dog. And Vince Vaughn has a really great line where he's just like, oh, that he would be all about that. It's true, though. Yeah. It's, it's not a so surprise true. that he would have it. Yeah. And that's a great, like, way that they catch him because it's just this this thing that he, he couldn't not possess. Mm-hmm. And it's such a rare dog that, of course, there would be some record of him purchasing it. Yeah. Or even then, like, you, you narrow your field down to, like, pfft eight people yeah who who has an albino dog also that dog was wonderful that dog was great that they dog trained had... him so well <laughs> and even when he was a baby and he was next to all that murder oh that's right he yeah. was so cute yeah the little baby albino dog like i great. know he was an accessory to murder but i loved him yeah that dog did not bark or put no, up a fight when especially, that girl was yeah being when kidnapped. he kidnapped that girl that scene looked lovely oh i love uh, it when he was like suffocating her behind the pillar but the dog just laid there i mean he looked a little alarmed but he did not bork once i mean he's be- he's just being a good boy what a good bad boy yeah right <laughs> what a good bad boy <laughs> So yeah, after he kidnaps these women, he puts them, he brings them to his uh, underground farmhouse. Yeah, <laughs> he puts them in a glass prison, cameras surrounded, and just leaves them there. He comes back later because he's a coward. Yes, I know. That's what's interesting. He can't be there for it. Yeah. And when he arrives in the beginning, we see that he like a he's... woman twitches and he cannot handle it. Yeah. See, I think he gets there as soon as they're dead. Like, I think Cause he... he's so eager to see the footage. Yeah. 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 But, but he's also a coward. He's also a coward. Yeah. He gets there and she's still the, like her nerves twitch while she's underwater and yeah. he freaks the fuck out. But also like. Gets a little aroused by it. I don't. Or it's like, so I was, it's like conflicted arousal. I was going to say, so he runs away and then he is very clearly trying to like hold down a boner. Yeah. And I'm wondering if the boner came from looking at her floating in the water dead or from the twitch. It's hard to say. Based on the rest of the Do movie. Do we have to break it down? <laughs> we can skip this. Okay. We can, I can, yes, we can skip this. <laughs> let's just leave it up to the viewer to decide. Sure. Let's fast forward a minute and a half and let's go to the part where he has bleached them white, oh, and strings sus- himself up, <laughs> and then jerks off over top of them. Yeah. While watching the footage of them dying, that what is, is what where... is the what is the, the the real thing that he's getting aroused by? Is it the death? Oh, it's the, it's the all whole, of it. It's, it's the, the whole... gamut. <laughs> okay, this is like a high school math class. You I gotta think show your work. He's just trying to get the tri the trifecta of being a deplorable human being, so that there this is that's the point of no return in this film, where every single person watching is scared of this man. Everybody is on the same page. Everybody watching, the entire audience is like, "Yep." He's a freaky creep. Yeah, he is. And now, I, I, the, the thing, though, is that movies like this never get this dark. This is darker than anything we've ever seen previously for these cop procedural movies. Definitely. And Especially like, a movie I know, with Jennifer Lopez. Well, yeah, and like I know the head in the box thing at seven was pretty dark, guys, but... Watching Vincent D'Onofrio suspended over a corpse, watching the video footage of her being murdered, by, like, that is too much, like, I am on creepy overload watching that. It's a lot. I was just like, whoa! 
Probably also doesn't help that there is a dog whimpering in the background oh. who clearly knows something is He's wrong. He's just like, ew, Dad, why are you... Can I go back to the car? I got it. Vincent <laughs> D'Onofrio really commits to that performance. I got to... Like, not like it's just like, wow, ew, he really looks see, like he's jerking off. When you see his legs tense and, like, the piercings, yeah. like, pull, it's, it's just like, oh, just a no, bit. thank you. Like, like let's go now. It's, it's Cut all, away to Vince Vaughn. It's also, like, the breathing where he's just like, there's spit coming out of his oh, mouth and stuff. And it's just... It's a lot. Yeah. It's a He's giving lot. those like Buffalo Bill guttural sounds. Yeah. Put no. the motherfucking lotion in the basket. <laughs> Put it in the basket. Why? Oh, man. I don't. I can understand. I Okay. You know, fuck it. I don't understand <laughs> why he has to jerk off while being suspended. Hey, we're, okay. We're just leaving it up to interpretation. We are moving. Well, okay. We don't even have to leave it up to interpretation because later on, uh, like Jennifer Lopez sees that he has the scars in his back where hooks were. Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, he liked, he liked to suspend himself. Probably liked the idea of being weightless. He should have left him in. It's like, I don't, I don't know. That it's about feeling weightlessness. I it almost feels like he's trying to make it as painful as possible to masturbate. Well, yeah, I think he's got this sadomasochistic thing about it, but also yeah. everything relates back to water, and he's floating in water. I suppose he's with them when they're dying, almost. If that makes sense, he can. He's almost making a VR box for himself because he's too much of a coward to be there. Yeah. So that he he is floating in water as he's watching them die while he's looking at their bodies. Like that's that's serial killer VR. Yeah. He put on his headset. He wants to be there with them. Yes. Yeah. But he's a coward. You know, most movies with serial killers that really get into the the the, the psychological makeup of the killer that really explain every bit of their process, I kind of I don't always love it. It's like I really want some of this to be left up to mystery. Like mm-hmm. the like the why they do the things they do is is almost more interesting when it's not explained and you sort of have to piece together what things mean. It tells me everything that I know that leads to the reason he does things the way he does today, and I really enjoy it. But you also have to agree with me on this point in that we're in his mind anytime we're revealed anything about him, and he is. Uh, an unreliable narrator and that everything he does is cinematic and grandiose and he's not when he's the little boy though yeah but he knows what's going on he knows that it's fake and he knows that there are people in his mind and he's made this like weird boy okay okay the little boy (laughs) but he's made this opulent extravaganza yeah and it's all kind of a diversion because we know that he's weak and frail and and the damage that was caused at in his childhood is what what kind of inevitably snowballed into what he is now. But I love that there's this guardian to that weakness. Yeah. And he's fucking terrifying. Yeah, because once we go into his head, we have several different versions of him. And he, in a lot of ways, is sort of like the ringleader of a really sadistic circus. And he sees himself as a fucking god. Where you come from? Oh, it's so... Ah, this movie looks great. This movie is so over-the-top and outlandish and awesome. This movie kicks so much ass. And Vincent D'Onofrio is... He's a monster in so many different ways. What's your favorite version of him in the cell? Damn. 
You get to pick one. I get to pick one. Only one. And I'm making you go first so I can pick something that you didn't already pick. <laughs> mm, this isn't fair. Okay, I'm going to say my favorite version of Vincent Enough. Oh, fuck, fuck, fuck. You may, you just asked like the hardest question that should be very easy to answer. I'm, uh, I don't. You can also pick a favorite scene that doesn't have anything to do with him. But I'm just talking about the favorite version of him I as know. like the godlike character. Uh, okay, fine, 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 fine. Is it the jester? Fine. It's not. Oh. It's, I want it to be. <laughs> I, that's what I, I, what I was going to guess for you. I want it. Um, this hurts. <laughs> this hurts. This hurts. This hurts. So I want to say, in case it's the one you pick, I'm not going to get into detail, his form in the end of the movie. But I, I think my favorite is where we first see him. Is it the Room of Capes? The Room of Capes! <laughs> That's mine too. Yes! And I also wanted to say that when he comes out of the pond with, yeah! with his like cape of shingles. And he's sort of like reptilian, yes. right? Me have boy. <laughs> like fuck. That was a good, imp- that, was, that was really, very good. Thank you very much. Boy me got. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh man. Uh, favorite scene though. Yeah. My favorite scene in, in D'Onofrio's brain, okay. in Carl's brain, yep. is the um, marionettes where she, where Jennifer Lopez's Catherine basically turns on the automaton that is all these weird puppets of his victims. And they're oh, all doing yeah. these weird, like, sadistic, sexualized scenes. Yeah. Um, and they're these bleached Mary, it's so creepy. So fucking creepy. But it gives me total House on Haunted Hill remake vibes. Yes. When yes. the girl with the camera recorder goes down to the basement yeah. and there's all of those weird like taxidermy things. It just warms well, also, something in my weird 2000s era horror bone. <laughs> well, it also sort of like ties into Jeffrey Rush being put into like that weird uh, room with the animations too, yes! right? Yes. I'm just feeling it. <laughs> yeah, it's like it's like Alice in Wonderland on bath salts, but also steampunk. But also horror. Like, like if a pop-up book was as uncomfortable as possible. Yeah. Yes. The scene that I think that is very bare bones, but I just love how good it looks is when it's i think it's immediately after that actually where she sees him at his first killing where it's just sort of like a loft and it's just a bathtub yes i love how gross that place looks like it looks like it almost looks like an abandoned building that they didn't use to shoot a scene in the crow that's a very good yeah yeah it looks like one tiny window it's almost like an attic apartment yeah he's just got this little stool at this gross tub there's a teeny little dog there and there's just blood everywhere everything's super black i love how it looks it came to help you bitch whore You sound like your father. He was nothing. He is nothing. Who told you to say that? Do you remember the first time he talked to you? Were you in water? Maybe you went swimming. It was my baptism. My father, he... he Pushed me under. I think I had some kind of seizure. I think I was drowning. And everybody just looked at me. 
but it's not necessarily like grandiose or anything, which is what this movie is really good at pulling off. Surprisingly, I, I really like the finale of the movie. Yeah. And it doesn't seem like a setup that I would super enjoy. Like, no, because oh, it's just like all of a sudden Jennifer, Jennifer Lopez, Lopez is like a deity. Yeah, she's kind of uh, Mary, but not Mary. Yeah, I don't necessarily love how her character closes off in the movie. Yeah. Because what happens basically is she gets stuck in his brain because somehow the evil entity inside Carl convinces her that it's real. So she kind of gets lost in there. So Vince Vaughn, who's got no training at all, goes in after her and in one of these dream sequences, well, one, he frees her a little bit after he gets his intestines Fuck yeah. rolled up. That's um, one of the other things I remember from that first watch. Like, did I watch a guy get his <laughs> intestines rolled up? And she uh, she gets like unbrainwashed by him and they're just running around trying to figure out where this girl is hidden. And Vince Vaughn is the one that solves it. He sees a symbol in this dream world that reminds him of a symbol he saw at the crime scene. Which he could have just as easily done a little more detective work at the crime yeah, scene and looked I, up the name Carver. So I didn't love that because yeah. then he goes off and he finishes the cop story and saves the girl, which was Jennifer Lopez's character's main goal in going in but then they turn it into this her needing to have closure with the boy yeah like she has she she's very big on saving kids yeah and so she has to save this kid but as the audience we are never quite on the page with the boy because we know what he becomes yeah. And there's a very good question posed here as, I think so too. as to like the guilt of somebody um, and how culpable they are based on having really awful upbringings and how um, how it affects them in later life. But you can't divide a person in three and only find two parts of him guilty. Yeah. And it's interesting that her character does have this like savior complex and needs to go back and she kind of like does the reversal and brings the killer in and then she has to kill the boy and there's this struggle for her to have but I almost wish that she could have solved the murder because agreed I was rooting for her professionally she should have been the person to to crack the case Mm -hmm. and like she can we can still have the exact same ending we have here like the idea that she in the end though this this study or whatever they're doing is gonna get ended because the, she the murdered somebody. Yeah, like he dies in their care. Yeah, I mean, like I guess like people don't really care about him. They also knew that he was in bad shape when they brought him in. But uh, I love that they established at the beginning of this movie that there's no way to track what's happening inside their minds. So it's all up to her. Like, and they just have to trust her and what she like, says. She's like, oh, yeah, like, this wouldn't get approved by yeah, the FDA no, yeah, or whatever. Like, you gave her a murder machine. <laughs> like, <laughs> she could go in and just start yanking out bits. <laughs> I, I, I love the idea that she wants to save this boy and, like, the only way to do it is to kill him. It's, like, it's... I don't, I don't necessarily love how they handle it, but, like, I, I see the framework of that idea and, like, really appreciate that, especially given that he is a serial killer. So it's almost like she has to walk a mile in his shoes to a degree to see his logic. Mm-hmm. Because, like, in his mind, the only way to save these girls is to kill them. Like, he, you know, we learn that he he drowns a bird to save it from his father. And so he's doing the exact same thing with these women now. Like, he drowns them to save them from, like, I guess, the horrors of the world or from somebody as bad as himself. Yeah, but he's also masturbating to them. So, like, how big of a hero is he really in his own mind? Well, I, that's, that's the thing. Like, he is everything to himself and everything to these women. He is he is their 
their lover and their friend and their and death like he he is ever like he is all consuming mm-hmm. and i mean like I, it's you see that in a bunch of Sirico stuff i think it's really interesting how divided their personalities and their psyche are and yeah. it's 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 that division that gives them the ability to be caring and kind or at least to use the caring and kind parts of their nature to justify these horrible things they do. Yeah, I also think it's just a great depiction too of of narcissism. And, fuck yeah, this and, movie is narcissistic as fuck. Yeah, but how he's got this grandiose interpretation of himself, but when we actually see him in the real world, he's meek and he's pathetic. Yeah. And there's so much that holds him back that you see is completely unhinged within himself. It's just a wonderful depiction, and you wouldn't be able to go that far if you weren't going into his mind. Yeah. Because that creature doesn't belong out in the real world, because nope. he, this man isn't untamed, he's just conflicted, uh, which is really interesting. That's a good point. Another scene I did want to talk about, and I know this is one of your favorite that's, that's, scenes. Oh, okay, because so I, I know halfway through my last talk, I was like, shit, I just, I didn't talk about my absolute favorite So moment. I know we, I, I'm going to give you the floor in a minute, because I know that you're going to want to talk about it. Um, but it's when Jennifer Lopez first goes into right. uh, Carl's brain, and it is kind of his first big memory, kind of the uh, the thesis statement to why he's fucked up and why he has this thing with water. It is his baptism, and it's in a lake whatever. But the camera is doing this rotating angle, and we, we come through the air and submerge into the water, and... It reminds me so much of? of the bathtub scene from Taxidermia, boom, boom, boom. Uh, which is one of my favorite scenes of all time. Yeah. Um, and side note, I did want to also plug, uh, Mary Beth did a really wonderful article on Taxidermia, and she <laughs> talks about that bathtub scene like in detail in her monthly Screams Around the World column. So if you're a fan of taxidermia and weird rotating scenes, please look it up at nofspodcast.com. You can have the floor now. <laughs> no, I, I think you, I think you described it so perfectly. Yeah, like I really hope you guys have seen taxidermia. Um, maybe read that article before <laughs> before just seeking it out blindly. Because it's a weird movie. It, it, there's a lot to take in with that movie, but yes, I think the camera work in that moment is just so fucking incredible. And just how we transition, like, through the water into, like, this weird, murky, footy, seaweedy, silty thing. It's disorienting. Into the world. Like, it just, it goes to show you that you're introduced to a place where you're like, okay, there's no logic here. Yes. It's so perfect. It's so great. It's the reason we watched this movie a second time. Well, it's not the reason, but it's it's why I watched this movie a second <laughs> time with the director's commentary. And, and like Kim mentioned before, you have have to seek out the director's commentary for it's this so movie. fun he's so great yeah it's on the dvd copy we have one of the like the really old dvds but From i platinum dunes but i do think that they so they re-released it on blu-ray it is also the same commentaries on blu-ray oh good yeah we so, gotta get this movie on blu-ray uh, i think it'll look so good eh, it's fine the cinematography I, I like it. in this movie <laughs> is so good okay so ratings yes how are you gonna rate the cell oh okay so i'm gonna give the cell and I'm trying not to rate it because, like, I have this glow of, oh, I feel like I have almost seen it again for the first time. Uh, I'm going to give it a three, a three out of four. I'm giving it a 3.5 out of four. I was thinking about it. <laughs> <laughs> I think this movie rocks. Yeah, it was so much fun. It's incredible because I, I do remember watching it, like, you and I watching it, like, early in our relationship, just for whatever reason happened to be on. We found it, whatever. 
And it's like, man, this movie's a lot better than I remember. This movie holds up so fucking good. Yeah, and even the CGI and stuff, there's only a few moments where you're like, ha, 2000. Some of the visuals are fucking phenomenal. Phenomenal. Nice. The return of the snowman. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, some of the... Some of the visuals are still just as great today. Yeah. Well, I think it's also because it's it's supposed to look a little unreal. Like, we're in a dream, right? Mm-hmm. So, like, they can get away with making it not look perfect. But there are moments that, that almost look too good for the resources they had. There's a sequence where Jennifer Lopez is in, like, a cage, and she gets dropped from a cage, and she's in this billowy gown, and she drops down into this, like, coliseum. Her gown is so floaty and wonderful, and I have no idea how they captured it, but it isn't CGI because her dress is gorgeous mm-hmm. and has no gravity. Yeah. And it looks great. I don't know how. I don't know how. Magic. Magic. Movie magic. The magic of cinema. That's it. <laughs> oh, I like this movie a lot. It's so good. Moving on, let's go into the mind of another killer. In this way, a little more figurative. Uh, definitely not as literal. Let's take a walk through another killer's mind. Let's talk about Manhunter. Intruder entered through kitchen sliding door. Nationwide victims. Yeah, this is Will Graham of the FBI. One killer. This is what the subject's teeth look like. Have you ever seen blood on the moon like that? William, you're going to make yourself sick or get yourself killed. Multiple trails. Just you and me now, sport. One hunter. I'm going to find you. Damn it. FBI agent Will Graham. Manhunter. From 1986, Michael Mann's Manhunter is currently sitting at 7.2 out of 10 on IMDb, 94% on Rotten Tomatoes, 75% on Metacritic. Uh, No rating here from Roger Ebert, apparently. I'm sorry. You only gave me an envelope to write on. (laughs) And a 3.8 out of 5 on Letterboxd. There wasn't enough room. Yeah, I bet Ebert loved it. It's fine. Yeah, so full disclosure, we were going to talk about Red Dragon for this half of the podcast. We watched both. We did. We sat down. We watched both. We did want to go with Red Dragon initially because it's so similar in date and time period to The Cell. We thought it would be a closer pairing. Yeah, and I, I, I've, I've seen both before. I really enjoy both. I, I had, You hadn't seen either of these movies, I right? I had not seen either. So I was, I had a feeling that you would like Manhunter, but I was worried that, you know, maybe you would appreciate the more modern take on the story in Red Dragon. Uh, I'm happy to discover that you like Manhunter so much more than Red Dragon. Yes, uh, we're definitely going to be talking about both in this episode. It's going to be a little weird. We're going to be, unfortunately, this is kind of inevitable. We're going to be comparing Manhunter, I think, to Red Dragon and vice versa. Yeah. 
just because both are so fresh in our brains. And also, I mean, given the thematics, Red Dragon is probably a better pairing to the cell. But Manhunter is a better movie and it's one I want to talk about more. So. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And I mean, cinematography-wise... Manhunter is the better choice. Ooh. What does Red Dragon really bring to the table? It's just status quo. Yeah. <laughs> beat to beat to beat to beat. Like all of the story plots are the same. And there are some scenes that are almost dialogue verbatim, which makes sense. They're based off the uh, Hannibal Lecter fiction. But fuck is Manhunter wonderful. The problem with Red Dragon is that they want to give you as much Anthony Hopkins as possible. Yes. It really interrupts the entire story. And especially the opening. Like, it's, okay, it's cool, we have him. I do like the opening, John. You do- <laughs> He's got a little ponytail. <laughs> if that's the only reason, I don't know that it's worth it. I do, it's great that he eats, like, a, like a flutist who... Flautist. Flautist, who uh, was messing up during her live performance with the, the symphony orchestra. And he serves it to the symphony orchestra board. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty great. Oh, it's pretty great. Hannibal <laughs> confess. What is this divine-looking amuse-bouche? If I tell you, I'm afraid you won't even try it. (laughs) Bon appétit. Bon appétit. That whole scene with Edward Norton, though, and Hannibal... Sorry, with Edward Norton... With Edward Norton's Will Graham and Hannibal in his study where he finds out it's him and he catches him. Like, it is just... Stiff as balls. I can't figure it out. It's like he eats them or something, and I don't know why you never thought of this. Mr. What is with Lecter. this human cookbook you have? <laughs> How to eat forty humans? <laughs> yeah, he just opens up. Like I think if you translate it, it's like human gastronomy is the is the literal translation of the book. But he opens it to a page where there is a description. Sweetbreads. Yeah, like ooh, what a great recipe we've got here. <laughs> oh boy. How would he make that mistake? I don't know. And then the opening credits of Red Dragon are all. It's telling you the story of Will Graham's, like, rise and fall in newspaper clippings, which was stale the first day they did it. You get, en- you get enough of it in Manhunter. It's like, we so know long. It's very long. And in Manhunter, we, we skip all of that. We start at the beach. We start at the beach. With we'll- that wonderful cut-off sweatshirt that, that Will Graham's wearing. New Will Graham, old Will Graham. That was an Manhunter Will Graham. <laughs> I don't know if I could pull it off. So much, so much texture. They just look too hot. Like, they took a shirt that was too hot for the day, and then they cut the sleeves off, and like, that works. Like, no, you still... That's what a man That's what a man do. does, yeah. A man hunter, John. <laughs> My mistake. Actually, that's not even true. If we roll back a little bit, we... The, the, the He's working so open. hard on the boat, he's just gotta rip the sleeves <laughs> You don't even imagine I that he cut I sweat through them. <laughs> like Hannibal Lecter tearing up part of the toilet paper message, right? It gets wet, you tear it apart, you're good to go. Um, but even before that, we, the cold open is the killer, the red dragon, his POV walking through the house with just a flashlight <gasps> leading I up. About yeah, that. leading up to the bedroom. It was and very creepy. It's so creepy, but it's so good because we come back to that scene several times throughout the movie, and it, we reanalyze it, and it's oh man. This movie. The fact that he waits good. for her to wake up and to see her stirring from the light, but she's trying to keep sleeping, and then she re- realizes there's a light on her, and it cuts right when she like opens her eyes to, I assume, be like, "Oh shit!" Yeah. But we never get that because it cuts away right there, and it 
it, it's, it paints a vulnerability that I hope none of us ever have to experience. <laughs> right? There's nothing like watching serial killer movies all night to make you immediately walk around the house and check that every door is locked before going to bed. Yeah. Yeah. It's just something that I just have to do. Like, even if I know everything is locked, I have this thought in my head and like, oh, maybe I forgot. Because I, I constantly think of quotes from guys like Ted Bundy. And why we have our giant guard dog. Oh, yeah. Nobody's <laughs> getting past her, right? Like, scratch me before you kill the humans. <laughs> But, like, quotes from Ted Bunny where it's just, uh, I think he's talking about BTK or somebody. Like, they came to him for advice or something. I could be making this story up. But the idea that if I am in your house to kill you, it's not the first time I've been in your Ugh. house. <laughs> like, that's, I, I, I think I just always imagine that as you're in the house while I'm asleep. But chances are you're in the house while I'm gone. Regardless, lock your doors. It's the number one step. And it's probably the one thing separating you from a real life horror story. Yeah. As they found out more about this killer who they're calling the tooth fairy because he leaves bite impressions on his victims, which I don't think was painted very clear in the movie because you had to tell me after we watched two films of this story. I think they do an okay job of it in Red Dragon, but in, in Manhunter it is a little, little uh, subtle. Yeah. Cause I was just like, why does he keep biting the toilet paper <laughs> note? I don't get it. <laughs> this guy's weird. He's a weird, avid fan. Yeah, and they're uh, also fake teeth. Like, he puts them in. They're completely fake. Which is smart. It, yeah. Also, the bite impression stuff is pretty funny after, like, you know, modern day us. We've all watched enough true crime stuff to be like, ha, that stuff is moot. Man, it's all becoming Bite moot. impressions are a load of bull. Like, blood splatter, DNA analysis, it's all kind of becoming moot. Like, we're the better we are at analyzing it, the more we realize how bad we are at handling it. Oh, God. The, the margin of human error is 100%. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> oh dear God. Dear God. But yeah, that, that opening is incredibly creepy, and I think it cuts at the perfect moment. It's it's almost poetic for for what the rest of the movie is about. Oh, I was working to a point. Yes. So the more that they reveal what this killer is like, it so totally reminds me, and we're getting into true crime here Let's of the Golden State Killer. Yeah, you're talking about that. Yeah, because didn't they get his impressions from a piece of cheese or something? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> um, but also, too, he did the same kind of thing. Like, he used to lurk in backyards, and he would drug dogs with treats, and yeah. he would just befriend dogs and go through open sliding doors. And he would visit houses for, like, weeks. He knew schedules and stuff so that he knew when girls or families, at least at first, when he was worried about going in houses with full families in them. He would case houses several times before he would go in and actually do his weird shit. Yeah. And because he was so... Um, knowledgeable about their schedule and lives. He would be there committing his crazy-ass, weird, rapey, murdery stuff for hours. Yeah. Guy was a fucking monster. I'm glad they caught him. And, like, the hardest part about these movies is really trying to, especially enjoying these movies, is trying to forget that those people exist. Because, like, a lot of what I love about Manhunter is that delving into the mind of the killer and, like, yeah. getting into the psychology and what makes him tick. But, you know, you got to remember that this is all based off real science of real people that do really horrible things. Yeah, And, like, at risk of glamorizing them with this analogy, it's almost too, because no killer is the same, it's almost like we're opening the clamshell to see the pearl, you know, that's been yeah. made from from billions of grains of sand. It's kind of inevitable that every million human beings you get, one of them is going to have this weird psychological makeup that is just so twisted and warped and deranged yeah. that you can't help but 
want to stare at it. Well, I think it's also we don't get that deep dive analysis of just regular folk, you know? Like, you don't get that for just your average Nobody's person. that interesting. That's what I'm saying, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, it's unfortunate that you gotta go to, like, a macabre length to get it, but it's the one time we really get to figure out how people tick. And, I mean, in, in some regard, you kind of see some of yourself or people you know in those ideas, but not, like, those specific details. Well, and I think that's what's a little bit scary about it, too, is that we all kind of know somebody who's a little bit antisocial or who is a little weird. I mean, you don't want to go accusing everybody of being a serial murderer, but there are benign people like this guy, mm. which makes the fact that there are ones that are able to look benign and seemingly be benign, but harbor some real violence within them. Yeah. Which is very scary because then you you don't want to underestimate people but you also don't want to prejudge people so you're basically damned if you do and you're damned if you don't like welcome to a life of anxiety here's the world <laughs> yep <laughs> so i mean in we we get the same killer in both movies uh they both have different flourishes on them which performance or which character do you like more tom noonan or ray fine's version of the red dragon um Side note, is it Ralph Fiennes? Because I always call him Ralph. I think... Oh, let's look it up. Let's look it up right now. I'm pretty sure it's Ralph. I don't think it's spelled... Like, it's a British Ralph. I think... You know, well, if you I'm going to call him Ralph. Ralph Fiennes. I'm almost positive it's Rafe Fiennes. I'm just going to look up Harry Potter because it's probably the fastest way to do it. <laughs> Could look up Red Dragon. What am it I doing? He just comes in with he who must not be named. Like, <laughs> God damn it. Son of a bitch. <laughs> okay, so... It's spelled Ralph Fiennes. <laughs> See, I always thought it was. Rough. I don't know why I've. I, I swear I've heard it before. Maybe I just heard it from somebody who was coughing on a biscuit. Yeah, that might have been it. It could have just. Ralph. Been, it was probably a British accent. Still sounds like Ralph. <laughs> Hello, we have Rafe Fines here. They went, no, it doesn't even sound right. It's Ralph Fines. I'm sorry. That's okay. So I really like Ralph Fines, but he is too dreamy. He's too studly. He's too Hollywood. I love his performances. I love everything he does because I think he's just a wonderful actor. He's amazing. And he's really able to, well, unfortunately, he's got dead eyes. So <laughs> he's really good at playing dead eye characters. But Tom Noonan in Manhunter, he is so wonderfully pathetic. Mm. And he's got the posture and the, I don't know, he feels, I can feel the weight of the life that character is held, and it has less backstory for the character. Ralph mm. Fiennes is... He needs, like, a whole diary. Yeah, like, we have a painting on the wall, and he's talking monologues to it, and because we really need to paint him as pathetic and tortured because he's just... He's a beefcake. He's... That's true. Studly. He's ripped. He's covered in tattoos. He's a stud moment. The tattoos, though, aren't really part of... Okay, I, so I see, they're not dreamy tattoos, yeah. but, like, he's a completely different killer. And yeah. that's fine. It's They're both just interpretations of the literature. But this killer, he's ashamed. Yeah. He is this lanky, lurch-type character. I think fits the the stature of, of this killer more. Yeah, it's... Seeing him duck through doorways and like going into that, that dark room in the photography area was wonderful because he's he doesn't fit through that door. No, not at all. Tom Noonan is such an interesting character actor and you see him pop up in tons of stuff and he's always fascinating, but he never quite gets the attention he should. 
And I think Manhunter is, like, such a great performance for him because you're right. Like, we get everything about that character just looking at him. He just composes himself, and he is that person. It is interesting that Ray Fiennes has to have this whole background. Ralph. Fuck! <laughs> it is interesting that Ralph Fiennes, clearly I've been doing this my entire life. <laughs> Ra- Ralph Fiennes, we need to really highlight the childhood that made that character. Whereas in Manhunter, there, there's a great moment where uh, Will, Will Graham, William Peterson is talking about how this person clearly had a childhood that made him this way. And I can't condemn the child. That was such a great... Yeah, but like, what do we do about the man? Like, the adult man that does this deserves a fucking bullet. But like... I love that scene, though, because they cut to his boss and he's just like standing in the corner like, we're just cops, ma'am. We just just arrest them. (laughs) Yeah, like, well, this is why you brought me in. We're not judge, jury, and executioner. We're just... The, the man that delivers. <laughs> right? So that's the thing about Will Graham. And they, they do a great job in, in the show Hannibal. I think they do an amazing job in the, in the television show. But in both of these movies, uh, Manhunter is the better example of how he gets into the mind of this killer. And he doesn't like it. But it's just like he's an incredibly empathetic person and highly intelligent and can literally put himself inside the shoes of this guy and feel how he ticks. I think what's also kind of wonderful... Wonderful and awful, like it's wonderful because it's awful about Will Graham is that he almost needs to, he needs to have the family so he has something at risk. Mm. Like he almost needs the the stakes to be escalated so he's got a personal stake in it to solve the crime, to solve the murderer. And there's yeah. something sadistic about the fact that he wasn't going to go do this and then he went to do it. And in, in Manhunter versus Red Dragon, it is his choice to go to Hannibal Lecter. Yes. It is his choice to publish the note. Yeah. He is the one that gets his family wrapped up in this. Absolutely. It's so, it's, oh, it's a much better story. It is. It's so great those though. Those small decisions, Because right? it makes them the same. Yes, the, exactly. They both put families at risk. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is genius. <laughs> I'm so glad you said that. That's amazing. I was, I was going to say like that, that scene where he's talking, where they discover who and where the killer is, is is so great. And that's that's also wrapped up in the, the, the contradiction of who the child is versus who the adult is. And it's revelatory when he makes that discovery and you can see him sort of drink it in the way the Red Dragon would when he finds that woman. Mm-hmm. That he's, like, when he's watching these videotapes, it's the same feeling Will Graham has when he discovers the killer. Like, they are the same person. It's just he's... He's like those hackers that work for the FBI. Like, yeah, like he's channeled his high into being a police officer. Yeah, <laughs> which is so great because he has to go to such dark places and basically become those serial killers in order to catch them. You see that especially in the greatest moment of the movie. It's towards the end when, this he, is goes, when he goes back to the house. When he goes back to the house. Oh, yes. And. I wish I could put a video clip into a right? podcast. This is where we. This is why the podcast should be a PowerPoint presentation. Oh. Because he comes into the house and he just his entire demeanor has changed, and he's he's sort of explaining his thought process, mostly for the audience, but whatever. Like this is my house. The monologuing I is better it. in. Sorry, the monologuing is better in Manhunter than it is in Red Dragon. I will say. Yeah. I'm not a huge fan of the monologuing, but. It makes sense with Manhunter's Will Graham. 
Yeah. There are plenty of scenes where it doesn't really work. Like, any of the times where he gets angry. Because like, I think he's also fighting. You son of a bitch! Yeah, you watched him, didn't you? Oh, you <laughs> sick bastard! You waited until it got dark. You were here for hours. <laughs> it's so great. You drank a soda, didn't you? <laughs> it's great. But I, I think in those scenes, he's also... He's mad that he has that ability, right? But he really has to embrace it when he finally goes back to their house. And he's just explaining how, like, I walk past the children's rooms and they mean Didn't, nothing uh, to me. They are tools to that help me get here or something like that. So fucking good. And then we've, when we're in the room and we're re, we basically revisiting that opening scene, but through the eyes of the red dragon. Oh, man. Her eye holes and her mouth holes are basically cut out so it's just whiteness underneath it's and, like mirrors yeah and it, it it is mirrors it's just their version the interpretation of the mirrors but it's just whiteness it's terrifying yeah the the explanation in manhunter about how the red dragon feels when he's committing these murders is so much better than, than red dragon um because in red dragon it's just like hey we, we really got to catch this guy because he's never going to stop. You're like, why why wouldn't he stop? Because it makes him feel also, like Also, he kills on full moons. Yeah. <laughs> because it makes him feel like God. Would you give that up? But in Manhunter, it's it's Hannibal that sort of explains that Which to him. Which so makes sense. Did you really feel so depressed after you shot Mr. Garrett Jacob Hobbs to death? I didn't know you then, but I think you probably did. But it wasn't the act that got you down, was it? Didn't you really feel so bad because killing him felt so good? And why shouldn't it feel good? It must feel good to God. He does it all the time. God's terrific. He dropped a church roof on 34 of his worshippers last Wednesday night in Texas as they were groveling through a hymn to his majesty. Don't you think that felt good? Why does it feel good, Dr. Lecter? It feels goodwill because God has power. And if one does what God does enough times, one will become as God is. The more he does this, like we we worship God and we give praise to God. And by doing the killings, he gets that praise. And he feels that if he does this enough times, he will become praiseworthy and worshipped and appreciated. Um, and, like, that lands so fucking good. And it's also what makes Manhunter, like, what really separates Manhunter and Red Dragon, apart from all of those little changes and just, like, the, the genius detail that Michael Mann puts into his script and his cinematography, is the ending of the movie. Like, the arc of the Tooth Fairy is, I think, more true to his character in Manhunter than in Red Dragon. Yeah, Red Dragon, there's a twist, which I will admit totally got me, was super fun. It's a good twist. Very Hollywood. Really good twist. But the ending in Manhunter is earned. Yeah, especially because like he starts having this relationship with this blind girl. Which is a wonderful side story. Amazing. And I think it's so perfect because she she's blind, so she can't witness him. Oh, all the shit with the tiger. It, yes. Oh. This, especially Manhunter and like the way we pan across the tiger before we discover that we're there to see a tiger. It's it's almost like the dunes in the cell. Like we are discovering this desert. It's a landscape. Yes. She's discovering a new 
place oh, she's so never perfect. been before. This tiger, this ferocious thing that should and could and would bite her, but oh, cannot yeah. because it is subdued. Yeah, like this is the one time. This he- is her with Dollar Hide. Yes. He is subdued with her. Yes. Oh, man. I love talking to you about movies. <laughs> <laughs> I will say it goes a little fast in Manhunter, right? Like he's like, hello. I'm, I'm, my name is Dollar. I'd like to take you someplace. Do you get the, like, you get the impression they haven't met before, right? I, like, they work at the same office. Yeah. So they, they're aware of each other. Yeah. But he's like, let me give you a ride home, and then also take you somewhere, which I'm not going to tell you is a zoo where you will meet a tiger. Like, what a great surprise first date. But yeah, I think it's, it's just more subtle about the fact that she's blind, and everybody treats her like she's blind, mm. and he's kind of got his own hang up like he's got his facial thing that he's very sensitive about and he's quiet and shy and odd and there's something quirky and endearing about his strange less is more dialogue like he's just like let's go i want to take you because i want to well he's very direct and she likes that because she doesn't like people pitying her well most people pussyfoot around her right yeah right exactly like she she is a mid-30s year old woman. She has been able to handle herself perfectly fine up to now. You do not need to treat she her like she's fragile. She cut a piece of cake. Right? She cut a pecan pie! Was that, what movie was that? That was Red Dragon. Okay. <laughs> I couldn't remember. That's okay. I, I fucking love that moment when they are in bed together. In Manhunter, she's fallen asleep and he takes her hand. Oh my god! And puts it over his mouth, kind of like the tiger. tiger. Yeah, you're on it. You're on it. But he (sighs) cries and he weeps because he feels appreciated and he feels like in 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 a sense worshipped, like adored is 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 how he feels, and that that's exactly. And he didn't come from killing. He didn't have to make it. He didn't have to conjure it. No. And but it is the it is to him the first step toward having that feeling always. Yeah, it's it's, it's interesting. It's so it's so smart to introduce halfway through a film about this killer who can't be stopped and out almost. Yeah, like here is a world that exists for you where you don't have to kill women to have this feeling. You can be loved and you can be respected. I mean, it's in the, your own twisted way, like you're never looked at or whatever. You're also watching the footage of the next person you're going to kill while she's going down on you. Yeah. But, <laughs> but yeah, like it's there. Like she, he didn't ask her for it. He didn't have to force her to do anything. She just, she likes him. Yeah. And it's it's what makes the ending of this movie so brilliant because he sees her being dropped off by somebody else and misinterprets that as her falling in love with somebody else and no longer adoring him. And that is a crushing blow to him. He can't handle rejection, even though it's not real. It's not real at all. Yeah, no, he, he's just gone into a delusionary state. Yeah, but he's, he's lost that godly power that he feels he's finally gotten. And that, that is, like, such a small moment that means so much for this character. Like, that is an earth-shattering moment for him. Uh, and it's it's such a small, tangible thing that, like, every human being experiences, which I love because you would expect a story for a serial killer who is just this, like, overarching villain who can't be stopped and is all-powerful. 
you would expect him to be taken down in a larger way. Yeah, and it's interesting too because in that moment, the this family that he's been casing and he's obviously been planning to hit this full moon falls by the wayside because she yeah. becomes the full moon kill. Yes, exactly. Like like the the quote unquote boyfriend. He's not even a boyfriend. He's just a friend at the office who gave her a ride home. He's definitely less of a sleazebag and manhunter, which is nice. But he kills her. He kills him on the lawn. He kidnaps her. What he does in that scene was really dark. When um when she comes to in his house, he puts music on really loud. In a god of Vita, yeah. Uh, but he he leaves her in this weird vulnerable state that it's it's just depicted so well. She's she's shouting over the music like I don't even know if you're in this room with me. It's so and old, he man. walks up in his six foot eight stature. Yep. and just touches her face, and then walks away. Right? He puts her in a sensory deprivation tank. Oh. She is, And then she is just his plaything. Uh, it's fucking dark. And uh, I should not have said this while we were watching the movie, because I think it blew your mind, but this is the same ending as Silence of the Lambs. Which is insane, because you were so right. <laughs> it's great, right? I, I, I don't know if it's in uh, Silence of the Lambs, the book. It might be. It's been a, I, I have read it. It's been a very long time. But um, it could also just be Jonathan Demme sort of calling back Interpreting, to Interpreting, yeah. kind of like encompassing all of the yeah. the Hannibal Lecter lore. Yeah, because, like, I mean, Clarice Starling is, is not blind, but in the end of Silence of the Lambs, the lights are shut out and she might as well be. And we are watching with night vision through Buffalo Bill's eyes and he goes up and, like, just about touches <sighs> her face. And it's so fucking chilling. And it's just as creepy in Manhunter. It's got a little more style, maybe. But uh, I think it's... A lot to do with the psychedelic rock. Fuck yeah. I love the end of this movie. It just, I, I don't know if it's if it's just because Indigata De Vida is playing, but something about it is just so fucking cool. <laughs> I think Michael Mann's just got a really good use of music in, in everything that he does, which is no surprise coming from Miami Vice. I do right? love the music in this. Yeah. I, I don't know how many times I have played the soundtrack for this movie while we've been driving around at night. I just don't think you know. Oh, you're, really? Because you're just like, yeah, 80s vibes. All right. <laughs> Like it's 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 like the perfect music to catch a killer, right? Like we're we're on or the to hunt. to pick up coffee. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We've got a job to do, and we're not gonna stop it. Oh, we're home already. Okay. <laughs> reverse, pull forward, <laughs> reverse, park. Before we wrap up, we did not touch on the fact that Stephen Lang is in this fucking movie. And I watched the whole thing and I did not realize that it was him. Neither did I. And then when I just looked at Google Images for like 10 whole minutes and I was like, oh my God. Yeah, he's the reporter. Stephen Lang, don't breathe, Stephen Lang is the reporter. It's insane. Oh my God. He looks, and like when you look at it now, like you can't unsee it. Like, it's, it's very obviously yeah, him. Yeah, no, true. But it's not the Stephen Lang you know. Oh, my God. And also, I mean, like, Brian, what did you what did you think of Brian Cox as, as Hannibal Lecter? At first, it was hard to shake Anthony Hopkins, which is totally understandable. As somebody who started with Silence of the Lambs and then saw Red Dragon, like, Anthony Hopkins is Hannibal Lecter. Yeah. I loved Brian Cox. He's great. He he definitely has a f- more of a fuck you attitude. Like he's, he's got more of a problem with and authority. And he's British, which is wonderful. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's he reminds me so much and maybe this was an inspiration for Netflix's Dracula. Mm. Does Netflix's Dracula not remind you of this version of Hannibal Lecter? Yeah, a little bit. Because right? he's cocky, right? Yeah. I love the way he asks for his phone number in Manhunter. Like in Red Dragon, like Anthony Hopkins is a snake. That's just Oh, and he's, he's just 
spook as fuck. Yeah, always. But in 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 Manhunter, he's very upfront. Like, would you like to leave me your number, Graham? <laughs> like, and he he asks more than once because like he's really trying to trick him into doing it. He's also trying to push his buttons. You know. My favorite part of uh, Manhunter's Hannibal is when we cut back to him in his cell and he's lying on the bed with his feet <laughs> in the air and you can see his like his warm, cozy English socks. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, that's it. This is my favorite Hannibal ever. Thank you. So very much. Well, it's so funny. Like, they could be talking about boys, you know? Like, he's he's got his feet up on the wall. Will Graham's sort of draped over in a chair with his legs over the side. And yeah, they could be just be, like, two girls talking on the phone late at night <laughs> about their crushes, you know? And they kind of are, really. And taking over the planet. And taking over the, yes. Sorry, that's just what late night girl conversations are <laughs> My, Of course. <laughs> boys and taking over the universe. What? We'll get them both with witchcraft. <laughs> Yeah, it's 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 hard. Like Brian Cox does a does a great job with the character. It's un, it's unfortunate you can't not see Anthony Hopkins. And I I my mistake. That was just initially. It was just hard for me to drop that. Yeah. I what I do like about this, and it's because Red Dragon came out after Silence of the Lambs, so it was it was purely laser focused on like let's give them that Hannibal that they want. Mm-hmm. Hannibal Lecter, the character, is used sparingly in Manhunter. Oh yeah. To Manhunter's credit, Hannibal does what he needs to do and then we don't really see him again nope. because he's not the killer to be caught yeah and it, it helps keep or not helps but i mean the way they approach how like his relationship to hannibal is very like they, they dole the information out very in, in in very small chunks like you get a little bit at a time and it's it's just enough to give you some backstory on will graham and the way they handle that is, it's similar in the way that they handle Clarice Sterling in Silence of the Lambs. Like in Red Dragon, it's very upfront about his relationship to Hannibal and what happened and why he is the way he is now. And this is because he's a tortured character. It's very new, modern blockbuster Hollywood, mm-hmm. where it's we get more of a character study with films like Silence of the Lambs and Manhunter. Um, there's There's a lot. I could continue talking about Manhunter. I love this movie. I think it looks amazing. I think when Tom, I think Tom Noonan's death is gorgeous. Like the cinematography in this movie is is amazing. Michael Mann can shoot a nighttime landscape like nobody's fucking. Oh, we didn't business. even talk about the the blue ass beach house. <laughs> Every time we go back to Miami, it's blue as fuck, right? Yeah. Uh, and I didn't mention even I love Will Graham's marriage more yes. in Manhunter. Yeah. His relationship with his wife adds so much to the movie, and she actually is a bit of a real fucking character. Which, yeah, which she isn't in Red Dragon. I mean, she gets to shoot the killer at the end, but it's kind of a it. We don't know who she is. No, she doesn't have any real weight to the decisions that Will Graham is making and putting the family in. But in Manhunter, you feel their like marriage is at stake. risk, and yeah. it's not just death. No, no. The, yeah, that's the thing. Like he is forgiven for every dumb mistake he makes in Red Dragon, but in Manhunter, there really is like a point. You know, at some point he might cross the line, and it's the end of their marriage. Yeah, it's the end of everything for him. Fuck. Because he really is putting everything on the fucking line for this, which is exactly why she didn't want him to leave. Oh, okay. We could go on forever. One, one last question. Okay. <laughs> in which movie do you like the relationship more between uh, Dollar Hyde and his girlfriend? Because I, I think we've read, like, we have more time to explore it in Red Dragon. I mean, I think, I want to say Red Dragon because it's a cuter relationship and it also has that really creepy video scene, mm. uh, which I think is done in the creepiest fashion possible. <laughs> but 
the tiger sequence in Manhunter is the most wonderful thing. Yeah. So I'm going to say Manhunter. Also, I mean, in Manhunter, she touches the tiger's teeth and not the tiger's balls. I know. What was up with that? I don't know. Yeah. She's blind. She didn't know. I think she knew. (laughs) (laughs) So, ratings for Manhunter. Fuck, this is hard. I'm going to give Manhunter a... Four out of four. I'm also giving it a four out of four. Isn't this like the greatest cop thriller you've ever fucking seen? I was thinking three and a half out of four, but... What no, are you docking for? It's great. It's incredible. It's wonderful. I was I was thinking the same thing, and I think it's because we watched Red Dragon immediately beforehand. So, what would you give Red Dra- Red Dragon? Ah, uh, yeah, Red Dragon's a bit of a guilty pleasure for me. Like, I, oh, I do like like Red Dragon. It's got a bunch of stuff that I'm like, ugh, about like this is not great movie making, but I really enjoy it. And it might also just be because I saw Red Dragon before I saw Manhunter. Mm. Um, so did I yesterday. <laughs> yesterday. <laughs> My heart kind of almost wants to give it a three out of four. Like, wow. I fucking love that scene where he eats the William Blake's painting. I love that scene. I would probably give it but a I one mean, and a half or a two. Really? Because, okay, because, like, ob- objectively, if I'm being very, very honest about... Poor Edward Norton. Uh, yeah, if, if, if I'm being very... F- not fair, but if I'm being real about the things I would dock the movie for, um, in my, my personal opinion, it's probably more of a 2.5. But right now, having just watched it, I kind of want to give it a higher rate. <laughs> well... This week, we have been in the mind of a killer times two. (laughs) (laughs) You can tweet at us and let us know what you thought of Mindhunter or Red Dragon and The Cell. That's at NOFS Podcast. Or you can find us in our Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash horror fiends of NOFS. Nightmare on Film Street is listener supported by fiends like yourself. Head over to patreon.com slash Nightmare on Film Street right now to find out about all the amazing bonus content. Hours of bonus episodes and reviews of in-theater movies right now available to you as a recurring supporter of the show. And if you have a second, please leave us a five-star rating and review wherever you're grabbing this podcast. It helps us grow in the charts. But until next time, I'm John. I'm Kim. Stay creepy. It appears you made it out alive, but we'll get you next time. Help us to grow the horde. Leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you subscribe. More terror can be found lurking on our website, nofspodcast.com. Until next time, stay creepy, fiends.